We're going to be in, uh, just in one short little passage. I'm going to have it up on the screen, but if you'd like to have it in front of you so you can see the context of everything, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2 uh, this morning. You know, one of the things that happens uh, often in January, I try to um, do a, a message or two on just kind of where we're going as a church, where we're headed. Sometimes it's taken the form of like a state of the church address. Sometimes it's taken the form of just some vision casting. Um, and I thought it'd be really good for us to kind of ground ourselves. Um, we're going to spend this week and next week kind of grounding ourselves in a couple of important things about uh, who, you, who we are and uh, what our, our um, mission is, what we're called to do, who we're called to be. Uh, and, and the kind of family we want to be. Uh, and, then, um, and then in two weeks, on the 29th, we're going to start uh, a series going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, I am very, very excited. In fact, I'm so excited about it that I couldn't believe we haven't already um, preached on that yet. And so, uh, so yeah, so Sermon on the Mount starting January 29th, that will take us to the end um, of the school year. And so really um, excited about that. So one of the things, one of the questions is we've had um, a lot of new people uh, coming in, the, in recent months is just trying to figure out like how do we, how do we function um, as, a, as a church family? What does, that, what does that look like? And you'll see often our, um, our identity statement that we talk about, which is God's family on mission. It's um, plastered like on our website and in many other places we talk about it. Um, a lot. And, and that's because that's our identity statement. And one of the things that most churches have a mission statement, and I totally get that. I understand it. It's awesome. Like I've, um, every church I've ever been a part of, the church we started in, in Colorado had a mission statement. But more and more, as I've grown um, in just understanding ministry and just doing it for a long time, I've understood, um, I just come to understand in scripture that God talks far more about who we are to be um, than what we are to do that what we do flows out of who we are. And so because of that, I want to make sure that we're always putting that up at the forefront. I want to make sure that, that we aren't just a church about doing certain things or saying certain things, but that we actually are the, the people of God. And so we would um, say that, that there are, there's an order to things when you're doing church ministry. And this is just a, a quick overview to give you a context for what we're going to um, talk about today. And so what we um, talk about internally as a staff, and this is actually when I, um, when I teach seminary, like philosophy of ministry and helping people lead ministries and figure out like how do you shape and form a ministry, uh, we talk about this. We say that the first and most important thing is identity. That is our identity statement. Who are we actually? And then we talk about the next most important thing then is the culture, like cultivating a culture around that identity that, that is um, determined by the values of that identity, who we say we are, we want to then cultivate a culture. And then it's out of that that we then have methods and we do certain things. Church, we, in the church it often looks like um, Sunday school classes or Bible studies or um, youth group or any of those different things or how we worship in a worship service. And then we talk about measuring. We've talked about these things before of how, okay, then you measure... But what you're measuring is how well you are becoming the identity that you want to be or that you've been declared to be. Does that make sense? Now, if we get these out of order, which is very common, what's very common in the church world especially, is that we kind of flip these upside down. And we first start about measurement. When we see something that we like, we try to mimic it. And so in the church world, it's very common where you'll see a church that's growing and doing all these exciting things. And the first thing that we want to know is, well, what are they doing? 
What kinds of classes are they having? What kind are they doing? Gospel communities? Are they doing small groups? Like, what are they doing? And so we try to go after a certain measurement with certain methods. But that often, that goes sideways. And here's why. Think of it, I, I hate drawing parallels between the church and businesses. I tried to come up with very, um, a, a better illustration than this, but I couldn't. So if you think about a business, and some of you in here are business owners. If you think about a business, if you immediately start with measurement and say, okay, well, what, what is success? What do I want to do? Um, if I want to just talk about like, what are successful businesses, often um, if that comes down to, say, money or growth in that way, then that could end up being your measurement that you're chasing after. So we're chasing, if you're chasing after money, then if that's the, what's leading the charge, well, then your methods start going after that. So now all of a sudden, that's when in a business, maybe some shady type methods can start to come into play. Right? And then what happens when those shady methods are used to achieve those means is that your culture starts forming around that. Maybe you've worked in a business where you're a salesperson and there's been high pressure sales. And so now all of a sudden there's kind of some cutthroat tactics and people are actually rewarded for doing, um, for doing evil, basically. Rewarded for deceiving people. Rewarded for, for throwing other people under the bus. And a culture starts to form around that. And then out of that culture forms this identity. And so regardless of what the business owner started out to do, regardless of what their methods or what their idea might have been, what has formed now, they are who they have become because they had all these things flipped upside down. Now you contrast that with, I know it's, it's, it's become very um, in vogue to, um, uh, to criticize Chick-fil-A, um, but I refuse because I love their sandwiches, and I am not ashamed to acknowledge that. Um, but Chick-fil-A is a business that has, has, goes more with this. Right? They start with an identity. This is who we are. This is why we exist. We want to present. We want, we want to serve customers. Like We want to be people who serve customers well. We, we have this identity. And out of that, a culture forms. And so the culture, they want it to be joyful. They want it to be a positive experience. And so if you work in Chick-fil-A, then you know that when someone says, um, thank you, you respond with, my pleasure, right? So that, that becomes that culture that they cultivate. Like if someone thanks you, then you let them know it's a joy to serve them because we want them to know that it's, it's joyful to be here. And, and as that happens, then the methods start coming to play. And that's training people to say, my pleasure. It, it's things like, I remember, I don't know if they still do this, so I hope that... Um, uh, that we don't in, in, uh, flood the Green Bay Chick-fil-A with this request. But I know that in Denver, they used to, if you had young children with you, you could go through the drive through place an order, and then go park. And they would take your order. You let them know we're going to come in and dine. They would take your order and bring it to the table and set up your table for you so that, you know, they were trying to help serve, like, young moms who might be coming in there with three or four kids, and they know that that's chaotic, and so they'd set your table for you, you just come in and go right to your table where your food's waiting for you. That's the kind of thing that happens when you say, okay, but this is who we are, this is the culture we want to cultivate, and then what you're measuring is, well, do, are people responding to that? Do they feel served? Do they feel loved? Do they feel cared for? Right, in a lot of ways, it's it's like a garden. So we want to think about that as like a garden in our church family. That you, that the identity is saying, I want a garden. But if I just say I want to have a garden and I go and try to buy the best seeds and use the best methods and then just chuck them out there in the soil in the side yard, I'm not going to get what I want to get. Right? 
That's actually what I've tried to do because I didn't understand how this works, right? So you have to have a, an identity. We want to have a garden. If you, we have this community garden out here. Out here. And the work that goes in to just cultivating the soil is amazing. The work that goes into just like making sure the soil is healthy, making sure that the environment is friendly for things to grow in, that is huge. By the time people come and, and plant seeds and choose what kind of plants they want to plant and choose what kind of things they want to, um, what, what they want to grow there and what techniques they want to use, by the time they've done that, the identity and the culture of that place has already been developed and it makes growing something so much better and so much easier. And we want to make sure that as we, so as a church family, we want to say, we want to put a lot of attention on who we are called to be. We are God's family on mission. And then we want to develop a culture and cultivate a culture of healthy soil. That that's what we're going to talk about next week. And then the methods come after that. The methods about like, what do you do and how do you grow things and what's the best way? And then we want to measure, are we becoming who we say we are? Are we becoming more and more God's family on mission? We don't want to be a garden that produces a big basket full of tomatoes and you look at them and you say, these are all rotten. Like we don't want a big basket full of rotten tomatoes. Like we don't want to be producing bad fruit in our hearts and in our church family. We want it to be a healthy soil that is producing good fruit. And often we get those confused and we get distracted by different things. And so what I want to do today is I just want to do, just look at one brief passage that I think encapsulates um, our identity really well. And then next week we're going to talk about um, the importance of culture and what does that look like here um, at our church. So we are God's family on mission. We talk about how we are created by God and for God. Right? That we, that we are, um, that we belong to him. So we are God's family and mission. We're created by God for God, but we're not just saved, right? Like we belong to him as his family, adopted as sons and daughters. And we're not just his family. We are sent on his mission. And in my experience, when we think about this and focus on these, family is the one that we struggle with the most to understand it biblically. It's because I think we, we too quickly draw parallels and we understand it in light of things that the, the world does and we miss what God is actually declaring for us because we can understand like, okay, yeah, we belong to God. So yeah, that's why I come to church. I come to church to worship God. I'm gonna study the Bible. I wanna know about him. And many of us get very excited when we talk about mission. Like I wanna go and serve people and I wanna go, I wanna go declare and, and share the gospel. But family is tricky, and one of the reasons why that happens, that it gets tricky, is, is we fall into a couple of ditches. One ditch that we fall into is we disconnect family from the other two. And so it really just becomes about our own worldly definition of family, which usually gets reduced to just people I like to hang out with. So even when we agree on the importance of family, of, of community, of doing life together, we define it in different ways. We define it in our own ways rather than how God defines it. And it becomes a very consumeristic endeavor, right? It's a, it's a way that disconnects us from the identity of belonging to God and the mission that he's given us. It gets reduced to just this idea of um, like a, a social club. 
right? Like, so I want convenience. I want to connect with, my, with people my age, with my interests, at a time and a place that fits in, in my schedule. But that's not the definition that God has given us. Like, one of the things that we saw in going through the book of Acts was that being God's people was far from convenient, right? It was far from convenient. They sold all that they had. They gave up their own relationships. Often they were exiled by their, by their synagogues. They were exiled by their families. They were eventually, persecution increased, and they were arrested and beaten and sometimes killed. That was what it looked like to be a part of God's family, and it was far from convenient. And the other ditch that we tend to fall into, because there's some people in here that are saying, Amen. Well, you're like, we are called to be on mission together. But family ends up being a hindrance to getting the real work done. Because family slows things down. Right? If you don't believe me, take small children to the grocery store. Right? Like, I, I had visions as a, as a young man thinking, I'm going to have children. And when I have those children, I'm going to teach them all the things of life. And I'm going to go slowly with them. And I'm going to show them and take the time to show them how to do these things. Like how to you know, boil hard-boiled eggs. Like how to go to the store. How to change a tire or whatever. But what happens when you're actually in that situation? Just leave me alone. i got to get this done. Right? Just like go, go play. Go do something else. Because I, I have work that I have to get done. And sometimes in the church we function that way. We have people who are on mission and going and saying, like, i got to go serve the poor. i got to go share the gospel. i got to go visit people who are sick. i got to go do that. And all this family stuff just slows me down. It's, it's, too, it's just easier for me to just go do it myself. This is famously demonstrated when Paul and Barnabas part ways because of John Mark. And the reality is, is that family is inconvenient and family will slow you down. But for some reason, God says it's worth it. And he declares that it's worth it very explicitly in many ways. One of which is that he makes it clear that we can't really know him and abide in him apart from God's family. We'll talk about how there are, there are 59 one another's in the Bible. Love one another, bear with one another's burdens, pray for one another. 59 of those in the Bible. And it's very difficult to do one another's without one another. One might say that's impossible. Right? That's what all my schooling's for right there. You're welcome. We can't fulfill God's mission or be a part of God's family, like connected to God, belonging to him, without being a part of the family. Because in large part, the mission is being the family. And that's what I'm going to show you. And in the past year, we've seen growth in this in several areas. I've been so blessed and encouraged by how you all have responded. We've talked about with, with communion, how you've ministered to one another and prayed for one another through that, connected with one another. We made the call for, for helpers in children's ministry. And we just said, hey, look, if you're a part, if this is your church home, then we expect you to help with the kids. So just, just to be a helper a few, you know, a couple, three times a year to jump back there and, and just be another adult that they can um, lean on. And you guys have responded really well. We've had awesome stories of, of spiritual grandparents, people who have taken that charge and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care for some of these kids and, kinda, and, and be a spiritual grandmother or grandfather to them. 
And we've seen it through baptisms, all the baptisms we've had in this past year. There's incredible ways that we've seen this, but we want to grow more and more. And so I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And see the connection between being God's family and, and belonging to him and being on his mission. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he says, you are, this is who you are. This is your identity. See, this is why identity is so critical. These are the types of things we see in scripture. Yes, we are called to do things, but those things that we're called to do are always a reflection of who we are called to be. That connection is critical. And so he says, this is who you are. You are a chosen race. And he starts to use some of these this language that they would have been familiar with. And Peter, there would have been a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews that were there would have um, understood the language that he is using. Because it comes back from Exodus 19. When God told Moses on Mount Sinai, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Notice there's a condition there in Exodus 19. What is it? If you will do what? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Has anybody done that perfectly? No. So when Peter is saying this to them, he doesn't put that in there. What he says is, you are this. It has been realized for you. How? Jesus. Sunday school answer, but so true. Jesus. Because Jesus has already perfectly kept the covenant. He has perfectly obeyed God's voice and he's given us his righteousness. And when we receive that gift of grace, when we come to know him and put our trust in him, then we now are identified as God's people. The promise that God made in Exodus 19 is fulfilled in Christ. And Peter is saying, that is what has happened for you in Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession. It's already true about you. That's your identity if you have trusted in Christ because Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law. This is an incredible truth. This is your identity. This is who you are. That's why we say we are God's family on mission. Not because we perfectly live that out, but because God says that's who we are. And then we strive to walk in that identity that he has already secured for us. It is who we are and who we are becoming. A royal priesthood for the king, a people that can connect the nations to God. We are the, we are the in, in, in one way, we are the world's priests meant to connect people and show them who God is. 
We are a holy nation, meaning we should look differently. We're set apart that people would look at us and see that we live differently. We function differently, not just as individuals, but as a people. That we function differently. That's starting to look towards our culture. Who are we? What does it feel like when you walk in this room? What is your experience when you interact with people in this church family out in the community? There should be a similar aroma to that, a beauty to that, a similarity to that. So he says this is who you are, people for his own possession. We belong to God. That's why we say we are God's family. We don't just belong to God as individuals. We belong to him together. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why would he do that? He says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like That's the reason. Like we were saved and formed as God's people so that as a people, we could proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so we tell people about this king, but we also show them. And so we often, this is, a, this is a debate that happens in the church of like, yes, amen. That's why we need to go and tell everybody about Jesus. And we have other people who say like, no, no, no. We have to go show them what Jesus is like. We need to go demonstrate God's love. And you have other people who say, no, no, no. We need to declare God's love. No, no. We need to demonstrate God's love. yes. And when we only when we understand it in this context of being God's people and realizing the key to this is that the mission is who we are out there and in here. And when we do that, we both show and tell. I did not mean for that, but that was awesome. <laughs> show and tell. It's amazing. Listen, there's a lot of evil in the world. And sometimes what happens is there's all this stuff going on. There's a lot of lostness, spiritual darkness, injustice, brokenness, abuse, all these different things. And a lot of times that that darkness, we we talk about our um, calling as Christians as that we are to push back the darkness with light. Right, like that's, that's like one of the callings. And so wherever we see darkness in the world, that we would flood it with light, that we would push back against the darkness. And I do agree with that in part, but there's a, there's a, whole, there's a bigger picture here. Because that is a huge piece of how we proclaim and we shed light into the darkness. And so where we see injustice, it is important to bring justice. Where we see um, like suffering, it's important that we bring relief of suffering because those things are Lights, but they are meant to point to the light, right? And connecting those dots is part of the mission. So God's people weren't just to live as God's people, live as people of the kingdom, but they were to let people know that they were a part of the kingdom so that we could proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So as we push back darkness with light, as we relieve suffering, as we do that, we are given the platform to proclaim the one who called us out of spiritual eternal darkness and into his marvelous light. They work together. We give people bread so that their stomachs would be full 
And then we are able to tell them about the bread of life that they may never hunger again. That is the power of the incarnation. In Jesus, the exact imprint of the nature of God, we see what it means that he came for the sick. Right? Like we talked about this with the incarnation. We see him touch the leper. So we know then what it means that God draws near those who are sick. We see him dine with sinners. And so we know what it means then when he says, when Paul says later that, that God demonstrates his love that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we see it in the life of Jesus. We see what it means when we talk about a God who welcomes the outcast and welcomes the rebel back home like in the prodigal son and he talks about it. We see him do it as he welcomes in the outcast, as he draws near the broken. And in seeing it, we understand it. And we see it in the life of Jesus and now we are the body of Christ. We are meant to be that in the world. So the key to us being God's family on mission in this and declaring the excellencies of him is to be God's people, to be his family. We are his people. We are called to live as a holy nation, different from the way the world is, as citizens of the kingdom, so that we can demonstrate and point to something when we declare the good news of the God who became flesh so that we might be reconciled and forgiven of our sin and made new. And in many ways, this is what's broken down in our culture. Right? We get really good. Some people get really good at just telling people about Jesus. And then other people get really good about like trying to serve people. But ultimately... What the world often sees are groups of grumpy people who look no different than the world, who gossip against one another, who throw other people under the bus, who complain about each other, complain about their neighbor, and then telling other people, hey, you should want to join. And we've said this before, that I think the world often looks at us as the church and says, well, I already have that. You know, Mark's testimony this morning, like part of the power of his testimony was, did you notice like what he was saying? Like he'd always had this generic understanding of God, this belief in God. Like he'd been, you know, raised in that and known that God existed and known like, you know, that he's good and known those things. But it wasn't until what? When he saw it manifested in someone's life in this life-transforming way that he said, that, that's what I want. That's my story too. I know a lot of you, that's your story. And so we want to communicate that as we function as a church family, it matters. Because when, when we have this as our backdrop, we're able to communicate and the world is able to understand a glimpse of what we mean when we declare the good news about Jesus. Christoph mentioned this last week. But like, how, how will they know what we mean when we say God loves them except by how we love one another. It's like that's how, you're gonna, that's how they're going to know you belong to me because you're going to love one another in a really extravagant way that looks different than the world. 
right? We can tell people that God forgives, but how will they understand that unless they see us radically forgive one another? We can tell them that God cares for them, but how will they know what that means unless they see a community of people where no one goes hungry? We can tell them that the kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field, but how will they know that unless they see a community of people who joyfully gives of their time and their resources and their energy because the kingdom is worth it? We can tell them that God is with them in the midst of their sufferings, but how will they know what that means unless they see a community of people who bears one another's burdens? So we want to strive to be a community that that reflects the kingdom of God. And that we say, like, in here, we can't control. Anybody get frustrated and realize that, like, we're frustrated because you can't control the world? Anybody find any success in trying to control the world? We can't even control our own world. I literally couldn't even control my own household this morning trying to get to church. Like how much less am I going to be able to control like, you know, the powers of the world? I can't. It's foolishness. But what we can do is say together here, we'll pursue Christ together and be his people here. We can't resolve hunger in the entire world, but we can make sure that no one goes hungry here. And yes, try to relieve suffering in the world, but saying like, look, this is what it looks like because our Father cares for us and provides every need. Like we can't cure things like injustice, like, like racial injustice and things like that. Like we can't cure all that in the world. We can push back against that darkness with light, but here we can say it doesn't matter what ethnic background you have, what country you come from, what socioeconomic class you are a part of, what your past is, what your job is, any of those things, like none of that matters here because we are all brothers and sisters and God shows no partiality. Like we can do that here. And by doing that, and by being God's people, as we declare the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, we can show people what that means. And we can ask for grace when we are imperfect in that because we will be and we are. But we are showing them what the kingdom is like as we tell them about the king. That is what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians 5, when he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we, as a body, as a family, are ambassadors, telling people what the kingdom, how the kingdom functions so that we can tell them who the king is and what that means for them. And it's so joyful to be able to do that. You don't realize how often you have been a powerful help in me sharing the gospel with people in the community. Because I get to say, when people say, man, every time we run into your um, church members, like at, at the courthouse 
or in the school. Like they're just, they're just servants. And I get to say, do you know why? Because they serve a king who though he was king became servant of all. Like I get to declare that and you guys have experienced that too where you share with somebody and you invite them to church and like how wonderful is it when you invite them and then somebody that you are in community with comes over and is, is joyful to meet them and excited to meet them and they get to see what it means that this feels like a family. We get to crowd around the communion table and feel what that means and we get to be out in the community declaring and demonstrating what that means. Like that is the mission, being God's people here and out there. And what he says is once you were not a people, right? Once you weren't, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We don't have time, but remember I said back in Exodus, there's that condition. Well, in the minor prophets, like in Hosea, he says, you haven't done it. You haven't done it. And so you are not a part of the covenant because you have not fulfilled that. And so when Peter's saying that to the Jewish people who are saying, right, we haven't done that. Like, how are we that? He gets to say, because of Jesus. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people in Christ. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't forget that. Don't forget where you have come from. Remind one another daily of God's mercy demonstrated to you and to one another. This is what God's plan has been since the beginning. To create us to be a people for his own possession so that he would have a flesh and blood example of his nature and his character and his work, his goodness and the life that he offers. That the nations might be blessed through us and it cannot be done as individuals. It cannot be done apart from the people of God. That's why being the family is so important. It's not just about having community and having some friends, but it's actually the mission and calling of God. We are a royal priesthood. And we are sent. So this is why you cannot follow Jesus and be disconnected from the local church because it's his church, it's his bride. You cannot belong to God if you're not a part of his family because he's the father. It's his family. And we cannot be sent on his mission apart from his people because us existing as his people is the cornerstone of the mission. So what would that look like this year? It's one of the things I really want to encourage us to do is just press in more and more and more. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago of quiet times reading the Bible together, sharing with others what you're learning. Invite other people into that with you. Say, hey, would you, do you want to read, would you want to read through First Peter with me? Would you want to do this reading plan with me? And talk about that together. Don't just do it individually, but together. Pray together, not just as individuals, but together. Pray for one another. Let people know that you are praying for them. We used to have a phrase I'd say a lot, and I haven't said it a long time, but it was, if you think of someone, pray for them. If you pray for them, let them know. It's not difficult. When you, can, when you think of somebody, oh, I wonder how they're doing. Pray for them. And then send them a text and say, hey, God brought you to mind. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Is there something specific I could be praying for? What an encouragement that would be. Serve together. 
One of the great testimonies we've had about people helping in children's ministries when they would say, man, I did not want to do that, but I have developed some really good friendships back there. Right? Like they connect because there's something, there's something that bonds us together when we serve together. We have people who go to the homeless shelter and they do it together. Like grab someone and take them with you. If you feel called to go do something and you're scared to do it, take somebody with you. Say, hey, I'm scared to do this. Would you, would you come and go with me? Serve together and share the gospel together. Lean on one another for help. When you do see your friend invite somebody that they care about, like join in. Be a part of that. Welcome them. Be intentional. I think about tournament season right now. Because you're out in the tournaments, band together. If, you, if there are other believers that go to the wrestling tournament or the basketball tournament or dance competitions or whatever they are, like go together and say, hey, we are the body of Christ. We are God's people. What does that look like to live like that here? Pray for one another. Remind one another that that's, that's why you're actually out there. It's just about saying, who are you? We are God's people. We are his family. We need to remind one another of that daily. Remind one another that if you're in Christ, then you are a chosen race. This is already who you are. Because of Christ, you are a chosen race, adopted by God. You are a royal priesthood, given the privilege to connect others with God. You are a holy nation sent as ambassadors for your king. You belong to him, so you belong to one another, so that together we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father God, there's just no way that in this time this morning that we could grasp the depth of this. But God, I pray that we would just be struck with wonder. Like it is no doubt that the first century Jewish believers were struck with awe and wonder to hear you are these things. That the work of Jesus is sufficient. That if you are hidden in him, you are God's people. And God, you are our God. And we have covenant with you. God, God, help us in our weakness. Help us to love one another. Forgive us for how we treat church like something we just attend, or something that we just want to find that aligns with our own personal preferences or people that just are convenient for us. God, we all do that. You know that. You know our hearts. Lord, help us. Please forgive us and help us to turn from that. Redeem our desires for that and trust that you have something far deeper and far better for us. That we would press this year into being your family, belonging to you together and being sent together for your glory and our unending joy.